2: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Happy Spring Statement Day. Uh, for the very latest analysis of what Rishi Sunak announced, uh, can I suggest you just pop the radio on? Listen to Times Radio, uh, where there's rolling coverage, of course, of Rishi Sunak's statement. Before that, as ever, we had PMQs. We'll bring you PMQs, and Pat Patrick McGuire and I pause the action as Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go at it across the dispatch box. And uh, before that, of course, every Wednesday, we have Alibert. It's Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. Let's talk about your column today and this ridiculous backlash against Nazanin zagawi ratcliffe
1: Well, I found it extraordinary, actually, because it just seemed that this woman had come out after six years, um, quite often in solitary confinement, having suffered torture and abuse uh, in Iran. And um, the moment she gets back to Britain, you'd think we'd all be hailing her not as a harem, but uh, but as someone who needed support and help and time really to spend with her husband, Richard, who's been extraordinary in trying to get her released, and with her daughter. But instead, a lot of people are saying that she's not being grateful enough just because she mentioned the fact that five foreign secretaries in Britain hadn't managed to help get her released. And the backlash against her has been really quite phenomenal. And since I've written my column, I've had a lot of tweets saying, you know, of course, you know she's deeply ungrateful. How can you not say that? You know, you're, you know, you're part of the problem, not the solution. And, and it does feel as if there's a really nasty element in Britain now. People who mm. just expect you to be grateful for everything.
3: I yeah, I think probably there's always been a nasty element in Britain. And uh, just talk, me and Matt were just talking about this beforehand. And pre, what's what social media has allowed that nasty element to have is a platform where previously it would have been a few blokes in the pub and it is blokes by the way i suspect uh so i don't know i mean it's just I mean, obviously it's reprehensible and uh based and, and not least because she was in actual fact pretty measured i thought uh i was very impressed i think she there was one line she said she'd she could have lived the rest she realized on the plane back that she could live the rest of her life in a black hole and she was going to sort of deliberately took the decision to put that behind her leave that behind her as the as the, uh, as the miles uh, stacked up behind yeah, yeah. her, if she was getting further away from that. And I thought that was a brilliant piece of uh, self-awareness. Uh, and yet all she said was she just pointed out a fact. She didn't even really complain about it that much. She pointed out a fact, was that, you know, British National, six years, became a pawn, and five uh, consecutive foreign secretaries, one of whom, to give him the credit, Jeremy Hunt, has said uh, she's right. Yeah. Failed to fail to get him out. It was a failure of British diplomacy. I mean that's uh,
1: what's extraordinary <laughs> to me is that, you know, Jeremy Hunt said, Look, she doesn't owe us gratitude. We owe her an explanation. So yeah. even the Foreign Secretary, former Foreign Secretary, said mm-hmm. that. And I think it is rather fascinating that there is this backlash against her. I can't see what she could have done. Maybe she could have arrived, she could have been in floods of tears. Yeah. Um, she could have not dressed in the Ukrainian colours, which I thought was a really touching thing to do to show that there were other people that were also suffering around the world. She could have, you know, looked absolutely awful and haggard and um, been sort of uh, ranting. But then she would have been, I think, probably, she would have had the same sort of vitriol directed at her. It would have been that she hadn't made enough effort, that she hadn't tied it up, that she hadn't brushed her hair. So you you don't think she's going to be able to win in this situation at all and i do feel that's very sad that we haven't got that compassion anymore but i
3: think country. we i think we have i mean i think that like i say i think that, that these things get exaggerated by the social media rea- reaction and then they get exaggerated by the reaction to the reaction
2: well i was going to say that because actually if you look through the these hashtag send her back that was trending at one point on twitter it's almost all people saying i can't believe that hashtag send her back is trending and i, I just sort of wonder whether In the rush to be cross on her behalf, you Mm. end up over-amplifying-
3: Yes, I the, think that's. The, 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 I would yeah.
1: say that, but actually, now having written a column, I would yeah. say that's not true. Oh, yeah. you're, you're that's, that's, you're now, really
3: that's because you're now. that's because you're now a victim. You're now a victim of the abuse yeah, as well. Yes, so
1: I'm now getting a lot of abuse for having said that, and it doesn't bother me in any way, not in the slightest. But I do think yeah. how extraordinary that these people can say it, and I'm not going to bother to reply to them. But I do yeah. think. Yeah,
2: that's what they want, I didn't realise
1: it. I thought maybe it, it was manufactured, but, maybe it was the press, maybe it was outrage you know, this... on your behalf and women who. See her as an icon, but actually, no, it's not. I mm. think it is really it is worse than that. I've had far mm. more people replying um, about ingratitude, and I think there is a problem that we. Oh yeah, you're I'm looking at your
2: replies people. now.
1: They're terrible. Yeah, I mean, we <laughs> we do expect people to grovel, and we expect people to think that they should be so thankful. And what worries me, following on from Nazanin, is if we do get the refugees coming from Ukraine, we should be treating them incredibly well. We shouldn't be saying you should feel so grateful that we're going to give you. You know, a home or um, a bed, yeah. or allow you to come to our schools, or you know, use our GPs. Yeah. That that sense of um, you that, know, don't feel entitled and know that, your place and don't mm. get uppity is really appalling. That is supposedly
3: actually, sorry, Alice. Yeah, well, I was going to. I
1: mean, that, that's that's what worries me is that you then are going to get this backlash against Ukrainians, and I felt mm. you do sometimes get it with the Afghan refugees who are now in. Still waiting in the hostels, many of them, and there's a sense of you know one of them complained and said they didn't want to live in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, and he got huge abuse because it was like, well, take whatever you're given, you know, don't be so ungrateful, and, and I think that's a wrong sentiment.
3: And it's not the nature of charity, is it? I mean, I'm often struck when you go to an art gallery or something, and it's named after the person who uh, who uh, donated yeah. the money, and then there's the list, kind of segmented by how by the amount. Yeah, yeah. Of the other donors, you know, so and so gave hundred thousand, so and so gave ten thousand, and I, I mean, it's quite interesting sociologically, but it's also a bit weird, isn't yeah. it? That, that that is, that is clearly not an entirely charitable donation. That is, that is asking for something in return. You get
2: a slightly different sized font to on how much you yeah, uh, and that
3: is uh, it's. I think so. I, I think you know. I think Alice nailed it in talking about that. Well, that is that is not the the nature of charity. Is that you just do something charitable and shut up about it.
1: And what's rather sad is it's actually the, the most of the country do give without respect. I yeah. don't need anything in return. It is the richest. So the richest one percent give far less than the rest of the country and expect far more in return. They yeah. want the baubles. They may even want a place in the House of Lords. Uh-huh. They they want their dinners and they want the, they want something for their largesse. And actually, they are giving less per. You know, well, percentage of I remember
3: being a paper boy. Salary. I remember being a paper boy in the seventies, and it was the smallest houses that gave you the biggest tips.
2: Get the biggest tips, yeah, 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 yeah,
3: because
2: they, they knew it was because you know, they knew you'd appreciate it as well. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, just looking through the replies to your tweet, uh, Alice, there's a mixture. Some people agree with you. Some people are getting very cross. And all that. my favourite <laughs> response is, "Everyone's got an opinion. Doesn't mean it's right." I remember a time when journos were proper Objective journo's are not posting their political colours to the mast at every opportunity. To which someone's replied, "You remember when columnists didn't give their opinions?" <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Of all the criticisms when I've written a comment piece, uh, yeah. the criticism that I've expressed an opinion and I should, be, yeah. in some way, be impartial, like I'm Hugh Edwards. Uh,
4: yes, citing this is
2: the point. Yes, it does, and I mean that's yeah. That's kind of not what you're being paid for. It's not it? what we're here for. No, it's not what we're here for. Um, let's talk about. Uh, in fact, I want to talk about your. But
3: let's talk talk about your column because I've, oh, I've, yeah. I've been obsessed about hoarding. Yes, that's right. This came out of a proposal from a group of academics who said that council should have specialist uh, hoarding or kind of anti hoarding officers uh, to help people with the problem, uh, and it was predicated on the idea that hoarding is a mental health issue, which of course. Uh, in some instances, at the extreme, it is. Uh, it's also an, an environmental health issue, and but sometimes a kind of physical health issue. If you're if you're filling your flat full of newspapers or old pizza boxes, or you're going to get you're going to get a fire risk, and you're going to get rats and so on. But I think also that at the sort of lower level of hoarding, which is fair enough, okay, it's my level of hoarding, uh, got, we're sort of slightly stigmatized. Uh, you, you call it
2: personal archive. Personal archiving, really yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: which is, there's a kind of, a minim, the whole sort of minimalist Marie Kondo tidying up, decluttering things has been going on for a long time now. And i had been fighting a losing battle against my wife's desire to have less stuff and clutter in the house. I mean, she's not a minimalist uh, uh, diehard, but she basically I want more stuff than she does. And I sort of think so far and no further. I'm not going to chuck away my, uh, my great-granddad's letters from Passchendaele or my, yeah. or my great-uncle Tom's farm crop register from 1922. <laughs> I refuse! Because That stuff, the other, I mean, the books and the records I, and whatnot, I they you can get she, those.
2: I bet she's shouting the way it's not that that's not what I want you to get rid of, Robert. Well,
3: she, no, no that's possibly your true. Collection
2: but... of bus tickets, your, no, your yeah. cuttings library for every, you
3: know. Oh, I'll keep him all my cuttings, keep yeah. Him all your cuttings. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Actually, I have got, I need, well, it, some it, of it's slightly...
3: I've been doing this so long that they're not all available online. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's pre pre digital
2: career um, Yeah, I've got a, I've, all my columns. I've got in a pile, but they 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 sometimes don't make it to the pile. So then other yeah. piles start. Yeah,
3: in other parts. People of the house. are only a bit younger than me now. Do it all file their stuff electronically because it is oh, all available. Yeah, no fun. Though, but yeah. there's no way I'm giving up stuff that I wrote for the. Uh, Rival newspapers, perhaps, which won't be mentioned. In the but also, there's something
2: moment. nice about it, to go back through them. In years to come, your, your I do, I, I do little doing...
3: else of an evening, Matt. We watched,
2: we watched Marley, Marley and Me at the weekend just because we wanted a good cry. <laughs> Teardjock. Right. Uh, with, with, yeah. with the dog. Uh, but the guy in it, because it was all based on columns that you wrote, and there's a yeah. brilliant exchange with Jennifer Aniston, the wife, and the children at quiet moments, gather round and read Daddy's old columns. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't go on in my head. I house. wish. <laughs> they don't read them when they, they, don't read them when it, when they appear new. Should... What about you, Alice? Where do you stand on hoarding?
1: No, I'm the one going round with a plastic bag putting things into the bin. Yeah. I yeah. can't stand it. And actually, I, do, I also dislike, though, that sense that you're always told that you have to have a little bit of joy for everything you have in the house because, actually, there's quite a lot of rubbish that we yeah. have in the house. It does That's not the, yeah. in it's not joyous in any got... way with four children.
3: It has to spark um, joy. And they yeah. do get
1: very cross. The children every time they see a bin bag, they're worried. But it does get to tie their rooms in the end. In the end, but they also—they don't read my columns either. It always amuses me because occasionally I put them in just to check. Uh, yeah, that's always a good
2: anything. test. Yeah, that's a good test. Now we, because um, uh, I'd say probably I'm more of the hoarder. Of my wife's more more with the bin bag, but uh, because uh, her mum died last year, so she's now and she she was definitely she literally kept everything every. Yeah every gift that Alison bought on a school trip, every postcard, you know. And actually now quite a lot of it is finding its way into our house. So maybe we're sort of becoming...
3: Well, but, my... I mean,
2: it's sort of that thing, if you keep something long enough, it suddenly takes on a yeah. new value.
3: I think. When yeah, I, and then
1: the grandchildren may want it, you think. The problem is that the grandchildren never do want it, do no. they? Before, or as me, is that I've now realised, <laughs> I did the opposite. I went through my mother's stuff, and I realised that I needed to get rid of a lot so that my children didn't have to go through. Yeah. She had actually kept the receipt for my driving lessons. I mean, yeah. every single... receipt. Well, that's, that, <laughs> see, that, <laughs> I think that's a,
3: that's a very useful historical document. But
1: when it reaches
2: a point where that's 100 years old, suddenly Quite. that takes on yeah.
3: Yes. And um, it was maybe yeah. because I
1: failed my driving test so many times that it pained her. Oh really? Pay, I did. So How many, many
3: were you, Alice? I was four. Yeah, I think I was about four as well. fact, yeah. I
1: think I had to go to America in the end. But first
3: time. No, well done, Matt. I was well saying done. to Matt before that that generation, my parents' generation, uh, that that was that d- nobody will ever have as much stuff ever again as they did because they they were the kind of first generation to be able to afford it on a on a large scale. Uh, and the last generation, pre pre digitals, when everything was you know, on paper, everything's uh, yeah, everything was on paper. And so I think I've kept an absolutely tiny amount of my parents' stuff, but it's still <laughs> enough to fill a room. <laughs> you know? And I'm down to what I just can't get rid of because it's not available elsewhere, you know.
2: But eventually, it'll all be in a museum, the Robert Cramp's yeah, Museum, which you've yeah. paid for, and they've named it after yes, you because of yeah,
3: your it plans, actually, it's a huge say. name across the. Yeah. Front. Yeah. I just got <laughs> it. Eventually, be getting up in a skip. I've got visions of me. There's kids coming home from my funeral, and just the skip will be there on, on, the, on the front, in the front yard. <laughs> the cuttings those, books will be the first things to go. One of
2: those big tubes coming out of yeah, the upstairs exactly. window. So yeah. they could just chuck it all out. Yeah,
3: yeah with my entire career clattering, yeah. clattering. <laughs> we'll rescue the them for you. you know, yeah, well, a British well, library.
2: Is that the British Library on the phone now, I think. So you're, assuming want, on,
3: so? you're assuming I'm going to die before before you? I suppose that's given.
1: Well, all that coughing is worrying
3: me. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it
1: well, yeah.
3: Well, It's worrying me more because I'm the one in the room
2: with it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Mike's been in touch. Responsible journalist, the oxymoron for our time. Thanks for that, yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Thanks cheers, for doing Mike.
2: It cheers, Mike. I don't know, because yeah, we're, we're biased in favour of hoarding. <laughs> and you can read our columnist in The Times and The Sunday Times every week. Enjoy brighter insights on politics, business and more. For just £1, you can enjoy three months of everything a subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times has to offer. Subscribe now at thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked.
4: That's stamps.com. Code program.
2: You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yeah. Yes, it's that time on a Wednesday lunchtime where uh, Patrick Maguire is here looking very smart. He's got a tie in it. You can tell it's a big state occasion.
5: When I, when I put a tie in, there's a great Frankie Ball line about John Prescott being able to wear a tie and a belt on the same day without turning into sausages. Um, <laughs> that's sort of how I feel right now. So if I, you know, uh, if I... Uh, go silent. You know I've... Uh, we know what's happened. The blood to my
2: head has been cut well, off. But if you want to see Patrick and his lovely smart tie, uh, you could go online right now to the YouTubes. Uh, go, go to YouTube, search for Times Radio, and then you'll be able to watch as well as listen along to PMQs. i Pat, let us know where you are. Logged on early. Greetings from Ipswich, says Ian. Um, uh, Where else are you? Upstate New York, says Candia. I love being able to watch and come on the Times YouTube feed on Prime. says questions as you get to debate but not shouty radio, says Glenn. Does he work here? Uh, is this how a chorley dresses in spring, says Stephen? I've got a jacket on. He's in sunny Leicester. Uh, Matt is in sunny Manchester. Go online right now. Let us know where you are. You are watching PMQ's Unpacked. We will bring you Rishi Sunat's Spring Statement at 12.30. Uh, Patrick McGrath, what do you expect in this slightly strange uh, PMQs ahead of the Spring Statement? The
5: the big question is, does Keir Starmer want to get himself on the evening news by going on The Cost of Living? Or does he mark something else, like uh, you know, it's a month today since Russia invaded Ukraine, plenty to go on there. Or does he... uh, you know, steal some of the thunder from Rachel Reeves. It's, it's you know, it's before the Lord Mayor's show, isn't it? Um, and I, I suspect Labour will, you know, Labour leaders' of office highly rate Rachel Reeves, hands by their shoveler into that role uh, last year. So I'd be surprised if Keir Starmer went on uh, rising inflation and the cost of living, um, you know. But there, there's a wealth of things he can go on today.
2: One thing which you keep an eye out for is the word security. Uh, Keir Starmer used the word security a lot last week at PMQs in various contexts, whether it was talked about whether it's military or financial or whatever, uh, talk that Rishi Sunat's going to try and reclaim the word security, uh, that he's going to provide security to. So uh, brace yourselves. We may well hear the word security a lot uh, in the next hour. Let's kick off then. This is PMQ's Unpacked, live on Times Radio and on the Times Radio YouTube channel. This is question number one
6: from Keir Starmer.
2: The opposition, Keir Starmer.
6: Thank you, Mr Speaker. 800 loyal British workers fired over Zoom. Yes. instantly replaced by foreign agency workers shipped in on less than the minimum wage. Yeah, yeah. If the Prime Minister can't stop that, what's the point of his government?
5: Yeah. Prime Minister
6: Well Mr
7: Speaker, we we condemn the callous oh. behaviour uh, of PO and I think and I think that it is I think that it is I think that it is no way to treat hard working employees and I can tell him that we will not sit by uh, Mr Speaker because, uh, because under section 194 of the Trades, Union and Labour Relations Act of 1992 it looks to me Mr Speaker as though the company concerned has broken the law and we will be taking action therefore and we'll, we will be encouraging uh, workers themselves to take action under the 1996 Employment Rights Act. Both Acts Mr Speaker passed by Conservative governments. And and if the company is found guilty, uh, then they face fines running into millions of pounds, Mr Speaker. And in addition, uh, we will be taking steps to protect all mariners who who are working in UK waters and ensure that they are all paid the living wage, Mr
2: Speaker. Yes, so... Um, he's gone on job security. He's gone on job security, which I suspect we'll hear a little bit about in a moment. It so is he, an extraordinary story, this PO uh story, laying off 800 people uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, uh, quite a good, sharp, pointy question from Keir Starmer. If you can't stop that, what's the point of his government?
5: It is, and it, and it comes back to... Uh, do you remember a couple of months ago, Boris Johnson at uh, Tory conference um, was talking all about how uh, we were moving to uh, an economy full of higher wages... More secure employment. It's very weird to hear, uh, you know, Margaret, one of Margaret Thatcher's successors talking about labour market regulation uh, passed by Tory governments at the dispatch box, isn't it? But it's a, it's a very good pointed question because it, come, it, it, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot about this from Keir Starmer. It's quite a rare question that it allows him to criticise the government over Brexit in such a way that doesn't cut across uh, Labour's squeamishness to being seen as a continuity remain party, which obviously Keir Starmer is the former Shadow Brexit Secretary, is particularly alive to that criticism.
2: Um, Boris Johnson clearly was expecting this because he's read up on his 1994 Trades Union and Labour Market Act of uh, uh, of 1994 <laughs> and the 1996 Employment Rights Act. He's very pleased with that. I, I wonder, and maybe this is where uh, Keir Starmer's going to go, there's this story that Sky News had spoken to a maritime lawyer who said that um, the reason PMO could do this legally uh, thanks to a law signed off by Chris Grayling, everyone just like, when just when you think you're out, the Chris Grayling <laughs> material. <laughs> for, they pull for those, you back for those of us for those of us who are fans of Chris Grayling, this is excellent news. Um, uh, less so, obviously, if you work for P and O. But yeah, it was a legislation to protect employees in the UK was amended by Chris Grayling in 2018, so the transport Secretary does not have to be notified of mass redundancies on ships registered overseas. Uh, so, therefore, uh, f- normally failure to meet the notification obligation would be a criminal offence, but that um, appears to have been removed.
5: Keyword there, overseas, it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of this line of questioning, Keir Starmer might have started talking about, you know, the Tories' love of offshore finance, uh, you know, Alisher Usmanov, the uh, Uzbek-born um, oligarch who has been using a variety of trusts and whatever to evade UK sanctions. I think we're going to be hearing a lot about the Tories' failure to... Uh, regulate and the notion of taking things offshore uh, as this line of questioning develops, I
6: think. Okay, let's go back to question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, when Owen Paterson was on the ropes, the Prime Minister was prepared to rip up the entire rule book to save his jobs. PO workers want to sh- him to show the same fight in relation to them. The government had advance warning of these mass sackings. A memo was sent to the Transport Secretary and to the Prime Minister's office, but they didn't lift a finger to stop them. No, did the Prime Minister not understand the memo, or did he just not bother to read it? Prime Minister... Uh, I think what, uh, what the Right Honourable Gentleman needs to rip
7: up, Mr Speaker, is these pre-scripted questions. Because uh, I've, just, I've, just I've just answered the question, and the, the point at the issue... The point at issue, Mr. Speaker, is whether or not Louise the Hague, government is shout fearlessly shouting across it. it's not about class, what happened the previous thing. I knew about it on the Thursday it became public. But the, the company concerned has a duty uh, to notify the government 45 days, uh, Mr. Speaker, before they take action of that kind. That is why we're taking the action that we are to protect hard working people. And what we're also doing, by the way, Mr. Speaker, this month is lifting the living wage for all workers across our country uh, by another £1,000. So it's up £5,000 since 2015.
2: <laughs> I think that's what we call an irrelevant point. Uh, <laughs> he specia- he specialises he in, yeah, in yeah, those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should point- Owen Paterson, who Kirsten was referring to, he was the uh, former Environment Secretary who, uh, there was a scandal when it emerged, he'd been uh, doing a bit of work on the side as an MP alongside his <laughs> full-time job as a food lobbyist. That's a lobbyist for Randolph's uh, Which was paying him much more money than he earned uh, as an MP. Um, and at that point, it was found he'd broken the rules. Boris Johnson uh, whipped his MPs to try and save his skin, changed the rules, let him off. Then it all fell apart again, and actually he ended up resigning. Um, so... Keir Starmer is sort of trying to to square that with where well, you tried to save one man's job because he was your mate,
5: and 800 people have been people laid off, been laid off to uh, no
2: fault of their own. Yeah, well, it comes back to that that phrase we
5: don't hear as much from Keir Starmer nowadays, but the old uh, the old Labour hardy perennial,
2: one rule for them, one rule for the rest. That's the yeah. the point he's trying to land there. Um, and uh, and then Boris Johnson going off and talking about the the lifting the living wage, which is which is which is fine if if not necessarily. On topic, uh, let's go back now to this is question number three from Keir Starmer.
6: I think the Prime Minister just said he knew about it on the day.
1: Yeah. I
6: take it from that answer, the Prime Minister didn't read his WhatsApp yeah. briefing. Yeah, <laughs> <Surely not>. Let's <laughs> test his rhetoric, <laughs> Did Did his Mr. Speaker. since the the story Prime in the Minister
2: papers today to about ministers it. getting information on WhatsApp.
6: You know, have received over 38 million pounds of government contracts. And the parent company, DP World, is lined up for £50 million of taxpayers' money under the Freeport Scheme. The government is apparently reviewing these contracts, but reviews don't save save jobs. Can the Prime Minister guarantee guarantee that these companies will not get a penny more of taxpayers' money or a single tax break until they reinstate the workforce? Mr. Speaker, I think what the
7: uh, House has already heard is that we are taking legal action against the, against yes we are against the company concerned under under the 1992 uh, Employment uh, and Trades Union and Labour Relation uh, Act and that is the, the right thing to do because it seems to me, Mr Speaker, that they have broken the law. But if he is asking if he is asking this government to do what Labour usually want us to do and actively pitchfork away investment around the country from overseas, Mr Speaker, then that is not what we will do. We'll take them to court. We'll, we'll defend the rights of British workers. What we will not do, Mr Speaker, is launch a wholehearted campaign as they would want against overseas investment because that is, that is completely wrong, and wrong for those workers,
2: Mr Speaker. So it's interesting, Boris, I'm now very confused about the bit the, the legislation is because it was 94, I thought, before, and now in, uh, there is a Trade Union and Labour Relations 96. Consolidation Act, 1992, there's a, then there's also a Trade Union Reform and Employment Rights Act, 1993, uh, Order of 1994. I mean, you know, it's good for you to update your but, wall charts at home. But, but what's interesting is Boris Johnson is presumably talking
5: about legislation um, that was introduced in the wake of European, Jacques you know, Jacques Delors, who he made so much hay criticising as a, <laughs> as a te- uh, Brussels correspondent for The Telegraph, introduced in the wake of uh, his social chapter in the, in the Maastricht Treaty. And at the same time, he's saying, well, look, it's brilliant that we have left the European Union. We're so open to foreign investment. And also Brexit gives British workers... Uh, you know, much more protection than they would have otherwise. It's a bit of a bit of a mess of contradictions. That one, I think.
2: Yes, I think you could well be right, and it's not. It's not. It's even a bit unclear. to exactly how the government is taking legal action against P and O. It's I almost as if it, they're, they're not. In one of his answers, he appeared to be suggesting he was encouraging the workers to do that, which is a slightly separate point. Uh, right, we can go back to the House of Commons. The
6: PMQs unpack live on Times Radio. Well, DP World must be quaking in their boots. <laughs> The Prime Minister says how disappointed he is in them whilst handing them £50 million. The Prime Minister said about the law, speaking of hollow reviews, as the law stands, it is not illegal to pay seafarers below the national minimum wage, even if they are working out of UK ports and in UK waters. Two years ago, Prime Minister, his government Admitted that that was unjustifiable two years ago and promised two years ago, yeah. you've guessed it, to review it. Yeah. 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 Two years on, despite what he says today, nothing's been done, yeah. leaving yeah. the gate wide open yeah. for PO. Yeah. British workers don't need another empty review, they need action. Yeah. So, when will the Prime Minister fix that gap in the law? Yeah.
7: Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, with, with great humility, I,
6: I must ask the Right
7: Honourable Gentleman to listen to the answer that I gave uh, to the first question, uh, because it, it would then help him uh, to scrap his third or fourth question and try another one. Uh, we, are, we are going to address the, uh, the defects in the 1998 Living Wage Act. Uh, minimum Wage Act, and make sure that everybody, everybody's serving, everybody's serving in the UK exclusive economic zone, working in the UK exclusive economic zone, gets paid the living wage, as people do in the rest of the country. Stop. <laughs> he's,
2: he's another a, piece of legislation exactly. to
5: He's been reading Hansard under the bedsheets, hasn't he? He's at last conceded
2: the point, though, Yeah. Um, which is that... Yeah. Yeah, there was actually no difference at all between what Keir Starmer said and what Boris Johnson then conceded, that they'd previously said that essentially if you are working out of a British port in British waters, you can be paid anything they like. Yeah, uh, And actually that would basically end up working incredibly long days to, to, to earn a decent living. Um, and he's going to say they've got to address the deficiencies in the 1998 Minimum Wage Act passed by Tony Blair. Uh, and, you know, we've had several Prime Ministers since then who have clearly done nothing about it. But he's conceded the point that um, they said they are going to do something about it two years ago and they haven't, and now they might.
5: Yes, exactly, and that they need to do something. Um, and that actually it turns out that British workers aren't insulated from unscrupulous, or workers, you know, as you say, working in the uh, the exclusive economic zone of the United Kingdom, as the Prime Minister put it there, um, you know, out of British ports in in uh, in, in normal speak, Uh, aren't protected. So we've taken, you know, about 10 minutes to realise that uh, actually he's conceded the point to Keir Starmer.
2: Yeah, as Matt on uh, YouTube says, two years is a long time to know there's a problem and do nothing about it. Gary said that the Trade Union and Labour Consolidation Act 1992 was then amended in February 2018. Thank you for that. And uh, Simon says, Patrick looks very smart with his tie on. Uh, if you want to see Patrick with his tie on, uh, go online to YouTube, search for Times Radio. You can watch long live and tell us what you think of PMQ so far. It's from Zara. <laughs> oh, coming to a bit of money and <laughs> <laughs> spending it while I still can. Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go back uh, to House of Commons. This is question five from Kirstaber. Uh,
6: the problem is that's what he said two years ago. It didn't happen, and PO took advantage of the gap left wide open by this prime minister. Yes! Pino's behaviour comes off the back of a string of fire and rehire cases. Yeah. Profitable companies threatening to fire workers unless they accept a pay cut. The Prime Minister keeps telling us just how opposed he is to fire and rehire. But as we saw on Monday, as we saw, Mr Speaker, as we saw on Monday, he doesn't have the backbone to ban it. Whilst he sits on his hands, more and more workers are having their lives thrown upside down by this appalling practice. What good to them is a Prime Minister who's all mouth and no trousers?
7: The the most notable practitioners of of fire and rehire are, of course, the Labour Party uh, themselves. He, he may be interested he may be interested to know we will be vindicating the rights of, of british workers uh, uk employees under uh, uk law but the, the law that the pO the company themselves are allegedly relying on uh, was introduced i can tell him as a result of eu directives and, uh, and uh, never, uh, never forget. Never forget, Mr. Speaker, uh, and he may not like it. That's the reality. He would have kept us. He would have kept us unable to change it, unable to get out of it. Uh, he would have made it impossible for us to protect UK employees in the way that we're going to do. But what we're doing, Mr. Speaker, above all, is ensuring uh, that workers in this country have the best protection of all, which is a job, Mr. Speaker. And, under this government, thanks to the steps that we have taken, thanks to the stewardship of the economy by my right honourable friend, which you'll be hearing about in a little bit more, Mr Speaker, we have people in payroll employment, 600,000 more of them than before the pandemic began.
2: Uh, When Boris Johnson said the Labour Party was a practitioner of hiring fire, I thought we might have got an Angela Rayner joke about uh, fire and rehire, given the number of times that Keir Starmer has tried to fire and she's ended up with another job title. Uh, I wasn't really sure what he was... He's talking about... So Labour, uh,
5: as we know, are in straightened financial oh, it's circumstances. the actual Labour Party. Uh, facing uh, lawsuits from just about everybody who worked for them under Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn. Union donations are drying up. Um, and so they've laid off a lot of staff and they've been accused of trying to rehire for uh, similar slash identical roles on insecure contracts of the kind they would criticise as a party founded and funded to a large extent by the trade unions that they would criticise other employers for, um, for, uh, for using. Um, but that's separate from the, the separate issue of the literal fire and rehire legislation uh, proposed by the Labour MP, Gar- Barry, Barry Gardner.
2: Barry Gardner was in this very studio early this week making the point that if they'd t- taken up his suggestion in October rather than uh, getting Tory MPs to talk it out, his backbench bill, then this might might not have happened.
5: Exactly. So they opposed that, and then they all, the Tories were also whipped to abstain on an opposition day motion uh, that Labour put forward on this same subject on Monday. Um, so, you know, I think Keir Starmer's got a point to say. It's a bit you know, bit rum for Boris Johnson to stand at the dispatch box saying, oh, we're going to, uh, we're a party of Labour market protections, and we're also going to tighten uh, this uh, lacuna in uh, minimum wage legislation, when they've been given repeated opportunities to vote on this very uh, on this very safeguard, and they've
2: passed them up. And actually, uh, John on uh, the YouTube channel says, I'm honestly not sure what the strategic benefit there is to Labour being the party arguing against the free market. But actually, Boris Johnson's doing the same thing. They're both trying to see who can be the most interventionist and yeah, exactly. the most regulatory. Um, and yet, you're right, in a... In a, in a, in a few weeks' time, Boris Johnson will make a speech where he'll talk about tearing up red tape and freeing businesses to let a thousand flowers bloom or whatever it is.
5: Yeah, exactly. Boris Johnson's new voters, it, the voters over which these two parties are competing, aren't frothing uh you know, IEA subscribing uh, <laughs> members of you know the Margaret Thatcher fan club. They are right on questions of culture broadly, this is simplistic, and left on the economy. That's how a Shadow Cabinet Minister put it to me yesterday. Um, and you don't you don't win over those voters by being the Tory party of mass redundancies that yeah. they remember so clearly
2: and vividly from the 1980s and 90s. And because this, this, this there's massive, there's a massive question of fairness. Mm-hmm. You know, people know that sometimes companies get into trouble and they have to lay off staff, but they that isn't the, that isn't what what's happening. There's a multi-million-pound international company which just thinks it can do it on the cheap. Uh, which is why it's treated people so badly. Right, let's go back then to,
6: as uh, the final question for PMQ's Unpacked, Pat He can complain how he likes, but on Monday, he ordered all of his lot to abstain on a vote to ban, fire and rehire. Exactly.
2: That was a Labour Opposition all, Day motion on they Monday. They all did. Which would have been
6: non-binding that and the then, government abstained. Mr Speaker, to add insult to injury, after the vote, his party posted a message saying that where possible, they will look to find piano workers new jobs. Pathetic. 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 They don't want new jobs. They want their old jobs back. They don't want a Prime Minister hoisting the white flag. They want him to fight for their livelihoods. 82,000 seafarers in this country. I've spoken to dockers, engineers, deck hands, and sailors. They're all worried about what this means for them. This morning, one of them said to me, if p can get away with this, other companies will get rid of us too and replace us with cheap labour from abroad. Why does the Prime Minister think that they will take a crumb of comfort from his half assed bluster and waffle today?
2: I Apologise for that foul spik- language. p plainly aren't
6: going to get away
7: with it. Any more than any more than any more uh, any more than any other company that, that treats its employees in that scandalous way, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, this is a this is a historic moment for this country, actually, uh, because it's now two years since uh, two years to the day uh, that we went into lockdown, and uh, that plunged this country Quite into the, the nom, biggest, uh, deepest loss of output that we've seen uh, in our lifetimes and uh, thanks to the Chancellor, who protected the economy, who protected jobs, who protected companies, we have now been able to come out faster and more effectively than any other comparable economy. We have unemployment back down to 3.9%. We have 600,000 more people on the payroll, Mr. Speaker. And the best assurance we can give workers around the country is that the economy is now bigger than it was before the pandemic began. And we will continue to get the big calls right uh, as we got the big calls right uh, during the pandemic. They got the big calls wrong. They would do absolutely nothing to protect workers, let alone PO workers, uh, Mr. Speaker. Because, because not only would they have kept us in lockdown and kept those ships in port, Mr Speaker, unable to move, that's the reality, it has kept those ships in port, but, Mr Speaker, there has never been a Labour government that left, left office with unemployment lower than when they began. That is the reality, and that's their record on jobs.
5: There we are. Wow. I was going to say there was a touch of Gordon Brown in Keir Starmer Criticising PO for hiring workers overseas and the Tories being the party of uh, cheap overseas labour, but then he said "half-assed." And Gordon Brown, a self-respecting, pious son of the manse, would never utter such foul language at the dispatch box, would he?
2: I've looked it up. It's not the first time somebody's used "half-assed" in the House of Commons. Mm. Uh, it was uh, Nicholas Soames on the 11th of December of the year 2000. It, it, what, what was he talking about? Uh, this. <laughs> this was. Uh, this appears to be some sort of military debate. Uh and uh he was talking about NATO uh um yeah. And he talked about a half, timely a foolish half-assed idea. So there we are. Um so uh standards are slipping. Now I would say as a as a political exercise, that was one of the sharpest from Keir Starmer we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. I completely completely agree. Is there a new person writing the questions? They were all but they weren't even questions. One of them was uh, why are you so all mouth and no trousers or something? That, that It's not a quite like, good, punchy political point scoring rather than the sort of barrister interrogation that we've seen in the past. It has a lot to do with Keir Starmer's confidence. When you speak to people who work with Keir Starmer
5: on a daily basis, they say um, he is a confidence player. And you could tell this time uh, last year uh, and last summer, he clearly wasn't confident. He was in, slightly embattled internally. Now he, he, he's, on, he's on confident ground, yeah, had in the polls, but
2: also on this. Specific, he knows he Boris Johnson's bang he to thinks. rights yeah, on this, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And clearly, Boris Johnson knew he was bang to rights because he's done a lot of research on it. He's read up on all these bills and legislation and things that he hasn't changed yet, but he's got to get round to very soon. That's all well, so we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. and We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?